Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is, the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the Lutheran Confessions from the Book of Concord. And today, we are beginning the Small Called Articles. It has been a long, I think, like two years. I've never begun anything. Making our way through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And I've been with the show since we were in the large catechism. And, and both of those in the Book of Concord are very long kind of each article thing. So we generally spent several weeks on just one article uh, or maybe a whole year or, on one article. Yeah, when I started, we were <laughs> right. on justification yeah. and we never left. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> a long, long haul through the formula of, or the apology of the Augsburg Confession, rather. But today we begin the small called articles. And, and so that really we get to do something Martin Luther himself never did, which was present and discuss publicly these confess. articles right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. to publicly confess these articles of our Christian faith. And uh, we'll, we'll be setting it up, giving you some history. So you'll understand that little reference that I just made there here very shortly. But before we get any further, this is that show where we seek to be of one mind, the mind of Christ. And in order to do that, we need the choicest company of Christ confessing Concordians. We're nice. adding adjectives as we, as, like as we uh, work C's. our way into another another book here in the Book of Concord. And so, uh, yes, uh, for that, we have layman Peter Slayton. He is the social media manager for the LCMS. We have Pastor Peter Ill. He is the pastor of Trinity in Millstadt, Illinois. And we have Pastor Timothy Apple, and he is somewhere down there in Texas. Smithville, or, Texas, yeah, I think, Grace, right? Grace Lutheran yeah. in Smithville, Texas. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, who doesn't know where anybody is. But thanks for joining us for the show. But where are you? Oh, yeah, I serve a dual parish also in southern Illinois, uh, St. Paul's and Wine Hill, and Emmanuel and West Point. And you won't be able to find either of them unless you... Seek directions from me, but that's what it's, GPS is for. It's it's two wonderful congregations. <laughs> yeah, one GPS will take you to the middle of a cornfield, but oh, those, those are that's yeah. a nice. Did that relaxed. one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, nice. Yeah, Peter, you used to be down there in Chester. I as, did. Yeah, I did. So I, not far away. I, I used to pilgrimage out that way every once in a while, mm -hmm. and your GPS literally takes you to a cornfield. Yeah, beautiful cornfield and yep. beautiful country. And wonderful, wonderful saints of God down there, too. Yep, as there are throughout the world, Indeed. as we faithfully confess. See that nice transition back I, Yeah, in. this I, is I, fabulous. I but uh, let, let's stop joking around here and get serious, all right? Uh, oh. Yeah, because this is, this is serious stuff. It is. When it comes to small-called articles. Yeah. I mean, the, we, we've been going through the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession on this show, and, uh, and that is the faithful Lutheran Confession as a whole, uh, presented by Melanchthon, who was Luther's right-hand man, but very intentionally, as we talked about several times as we went through Apology especially, very intentionally, th this was presented as this is 
what we together as Christians from Scripture are confessing. You're calling us Lutherans. It was kind of name calling. But Luther didn't want it to be just his confession, right? Mm -hmm. He wanted it to be the confession of those who agree with Scripture. And so we talked about that several times, but yet uh, he was pushed to give his own confession. And we're going to see this line up a lot with what we talked about with the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And of course, it, it faithfully confesses Scripture. But uh, let, let's go ahead and let's set up here. And I'm, because he hasn't had a chance to really talk yet, I'm going to throw it to Pastor Apple first. So get ready down there in Texas. But uh, go ahead and give us uh, your brief intro into the small called articles here how what how'd they come about what's going on here uh go ahead sure so in i'll start in 1531 just to explain the name why small called articles there's a, a city in germany you may see it written more like schmal called in a little more german in in nature that that's where um in 1531 a group of lutheran princes met to form what was called the the Schmalkaldic League, and that was for the purposes of of defending their territories in a military way, should they ever be attacked due to their Lutheran faith. So that's where the name Schmalkald is going to come from. It's it's the place where these meetings took place, and in in 1536, uh, the Pope at the time, who was Paul the Third declared a council, which the Lutherans had been asking for for quite some time. And and so the Lutherans said, we need to have something to present to this council. Um, it took some persuading to get Luther's um, elector, who was uh, John Frederick, the, the nephew of Frederick the Wise. Um, it took some persuading to get John Frederick to go along with this idea of even going to the council. But once he did, he said, Luther, you need to write this. And, and so starting in December of 1536, Luther started to to write this confession for the upcoming council. Well, during that time, he, he had what could have been a heart attack, some very serious illness that, that put him at the point of death. And, and so Luther was gravely afraid um, for his own life. And, and so he, he was spared for another about 10 years, thankfully. Um, but what, what ends up coming of this is, is that you get this document, the small cult articles, that Luther writes for a twofold purpose that make it a very sharp and pointed document. He's not going to hold anything back. Um, he, he, he's writing it basically as his own last will and testament and for the purposes of laying it out for this council. Um, so that kind of gives us a, a feel for, for why the document's going to sound like it sounds, um, why, it's, why it's so very um, just, he's very bold with, with his confession here. And this is really Pastor Luther kind of at his finest, uh, where he, like Pastor Apple said, he doesn't hold anything back, but where Melanchthon used a lot of flowery words and rhetoric and he he, he used a lot of great phrases, Luther cuts right to the point and has no problem just laying everything out on the line. And this is just vintage Martin Luther writing. Uh, and it it is one of the most direct of the confessional documents for that regard. And so Martin Luther constructed this document with a preface and then with three main articles or, or parts. And part two and part three have sub-articles, and we'll get there. Uh, but throughout, he just lays everything straight out, um, not in a polemic way, not in a, for the most part, not in a name-calling kind of a way, but just this, this is the skinny. Here's the scoop, guys. This is the Christian faith, and when you come after us to attack us, then you'll need to answer to Jesus for that, because this is drawn straight from Scripture. Uh, so here it is. And as we get into this in the same way 
with the large catechism. What I find helpful as a as a layman who is not theologically trained, I haven't been to seminary, I haven't had the training you guys have had, but when you read through the small called articles just and the large catechism, that directness is actually very helpful. One, th- one of the things that's difficult about the formula of Concord, about the, uh, the apology to the Augsburg Confession that we've just finished going through is the minutia and the details, you can just get so bogged down in these very fine theological points that are being made that you can very easily lose the argument. The small called articles are not written in that same way. Like you said, Luther is direct and to the point. Melanchthon had a lot of nice phrases but was very flowery. I look at small called and I'm like, you could tweet almost all of this. Like like the the <laughs> well there's out fodder of context for you in your great. work yeah, yeah. And I, actually you I could have. do that yeah. every day yeah. I, I, I have just, like, done that a little small bit articles yeah. with Luther but yeah. what's interesting is but as you read it it's like he he takes each phrase and just packs into here's what I mean and I'm just gonna say it and he's and he f- says it so well it's like oh okay there we go that that's what it is and it's which makes it for very easy reading I think it is my point this is not an intimidating document. To, to step into. It's one of those where it's like, I don't know if I'd say you could read it devotionally the way you do with the large catechism. It's not quite that easy, but I mean, a lot of those same elements are there. Absolutely. And I, and I love what you said there too, is that it, it it's just confessing the faith. And that's the point that we've made. There's a place, and, and, and I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to jump back to you, uh, Pastor Hilaire, in a second, because you mentioned the three parts. So get ready how you're going to explain what those three parts include. But I'm going to jump real briefly to the third part, where he, he does get in a little more of what we saw in the apology of kind of refuting. This is the error that mm-hmm. the opponents are, are um, you know, um, speaking of and things of that nature, right? Uh, and so there's a place for that part of confession yeah. and so forth. But I love the especially the first two parts where he just simply says, look, this this is the faith and, yeah. and we're confessing. I mean, scripture itself says, if you believe in the heart, you will also confess with the mouth. Right. And, 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 and even so. when he is doing the, this is what we believe. This is what we don't believe kind of stuff. It's still accessible. I, I think that's, that's the main point is even as he's doing that, it's, it's not like you need a theology degree to fully understand what he's doing. He, it, it's an, it's in a more accessible way. There might be some, you know, we're going to, the schwarmerei and things like that, you know, terms aren't always defined, so you kind of have to look them up and it's like, what is that? But, a schwarmerei is a buzzing bee. Yes. Well, See, and, I couldn't and, even, even and, have said that. I just know context, the word. <laughs> in the context of the time, right, you know, they, they would have right. been more accessible yeah. to those sorts of things. And so but as for time a goes person, on, right. reading it right now, it's like, right. okay, yeah, there's a few things like that. But for the most part pick this up and read it. Yeah. It's good stuff. Because like if we say, you know, fake news or something today, everybody knows what you're referencing, the common yeah. talk of political nature and so forth. But maybe, you know, a couple hundred years, if the Lord doesn't return before then from now, uh, you might need to explain that reference. Right? Well, by then it's all fake news, and so they don't know the difference. <laughs> right. Dear yeah. listener in 2045, <laughs> you'll have to do a, an internet search if they still have the internet then. <laughs> So, and I'm sorry that you're listening to us <laughs> in 2045. No, uh, no, only because we, we, we haven't actually gotten all the content yet. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, go ahead and Pastor, I'll explain what I, I briefly kind of hit the third part just a little bit there. But but what's going on in the three parts? Why the three parts? So in the three parts, Luther has really constructed this uh 
well, almost like an onion, if you will, where the very core, the the strongest part, is the first part where he talks about uh, the divine majesty. This is the glory of God in creation, in redemption in Jesus Christ, and in his work of bringing people to faith. Uh, and the first part is very brief. Then he expands a little bit, going into the second layer of the onion, and talks about the some of the things that are at issue between the evangelicals or the Lutherans and the Roman Catholic Church. And then finally he gets to the third part, and there he says, look, this is stuff that's really important and needs to be made in this confession. The Our opponents don't really want to talk about these things because they're they're more concerned about money and importance and political intrigue. But in any full confession of the faith, we need to th- talk about things like sin and the law and repentance because we can't make a full confession of faith without talking about these things. And so he's going to leave no stone unturned, but he does start with with the core statement of faith and kind of work out over time. All right. Well, that's our setup. Um, I'm going to real quick check in with Pastor Apple because I can't see him, unfortunately. I miss seeing my brother. But uh, Pastor Apple, do you have anything to add before we jump into reading the preface? That was very well spoken by Pastor Ill. Let's begin to read. Yeah, and well spoken by you, too, in setting up the history. I, 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 I wanted to jump back to you on that. Thank you for that. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. We're, we're not going to actually start, uh, maybe by the end of the show, but we're, we're not actually going to start the articles themselves, just to be clear on this. We are starting the preface of Dr. Martin Luther himself. Now, if you have the Concordia Reader's Edition, which we are working from, available through CPH of the Book of Concord, uh, there's lots of great stuff in here, and I certainly commend it to you. I mean, it's really a reasonable price for the treasure of the faithful confession of our Lutheran Christian faith uh, that's a available in this book and and, and, and like it I'm not I'm not I'm not working for CPH I get nothing out of this ever no monetary support for the show or anything uh, but uh, I certainly would commend um, buying that uh, resource from CPH and, and and just has a treasure source available to you there's there's great editors introduction available into there that provides some more of the history and background um, that you can certainly read for yourself uh, there's a great timeline and outline available there um, so we're, we're gonna skip over reading that that's you know kind of editors work great historical stuff we reference a lot of it as we read through but this preface itself while not an article itself it does also also helps set this up. And so I do want to read this because this does come from Luther himself. So we're going to go ahead and jump in there. We are beginning here on March. No, it's not March. <laughs> it's, it's, it's April 2nd. April Fool's. No, um, that was yesterday. Uh, April 2nd, 2019. We are beginning a small call articles here. And we're going to do so by reading the preface of Dr. Martin Luther. On page 259. In the second edition. Yes. Yeah, first edition on a different page, but that's okay. All right. <laughs> Pope Paul III called a council last year that was supposed to assemble at Mantua around Pentecost. Later, he moved it from Mantua. Now no one knows where he will or can hold it. On our side, we expect it either to be summoned to the council or to just be condemned without being summoned. I was told to set forth and pull together the articles of our doctrine. 
In the deliberations at the council, we could then be clear about what we would be willing and able to concede to the papists, their meaning the Roman Catholic Church, and what points we intended to persist with and stand for to the end. So I have compiled these articles and presented them to our side, which has unanimously accepted, which has unanimously accepted and confessed them. We have resolved to present these publicly to set forth the confession of our faith. Parenthetical remark here, perhaps the Pope, with his supporters, would be so bold as to hold a truly free Christian council, seriously and in good faith, as is his duty, without lying and cheating. Now, I know that, you know, Ouch. We, we always used to talk in the apology about the snark of Melanchthon, who, who did it in a very educated way. Here, uh, Luther Th- kind of does it in snark. parenthetical remarks. Yeah, this isn't snark. Little, this is just straight up. a little up. backhanded. Like, yeah. You're, this is who you are. Okay. Admit it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. It, if if you thought that the snark of the apology of the Augsburg Confession was uh, was something, I mean, it was it was clever, it was subtle. There is nothing subtle about yeah. Pastor this is Luther just a slap in the writes. face. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's and, and that's what he's trying for. It's like yeah, okay, he's a very bold. Here man. it is, man. And this is what I think of you. <laughs> and even kind of transitioning into the the next paragraph, he continues that kind of boldness uh, as he goes on. And he's going to continue to lay out, uh, you know, you've gone back and forth about, you know, having a council. You said there's going to be a council. Maybe there will be a council. We've been asking for a council for a decade. At the end of the day, you're going to do what you're going to do. We're going to confess the faith. I I think a little bit more uh, history that was helpful to me is remembering the Augsburg Confession was presented in 1530. We're, when this was published, is 1538, so we're eight years later. There's been eight years more of this conflict between the Lutherans and, and the Roman Church, and it's only gotten worse. It has not improved. So but by the time we get to the small called articles and Luther is straight up like, look, you're lying and cheating. Cut it out. We've moved beyond the we're trying to be conciliatory. We're trying to show that, look, we are part of the church. We just want you to change. And now I think we're getting some of that frustration of eight years later. Look, things are only worse. We're only more divided. Um, you know, the the pope has dug in his heels. He's He's more entrenched in his position than he was before. And so we're starting to see some of that coming out in Luther's confession of just I'm not sure this is actually going to change. That's, you know, they're just lying and cheating at this point. They're they're telling us and they're just leading us on, but it's been 8 years. What's what's actually going to happen now? Yeah. All right, uh Pastor Hill, you were going to uh uh transition us in and you did. So go go ahead and pick up reading that. Okay. Uh, paragraph 3 of the preface of the Smold called articles. The Roman court though is terribly afraid of a free Christian council. They are ashamed to be exposed to the light. The Roman court has dashed the hope, even of those who are on their side, and they will ever permit a f- that they will ever permit a free council, much less hold one themselves. Many on the Pope's side are greatly offended and rightly troubled at this negligence, for they realize that the Pope would rather see all Christendom perish and all souls damned than allow either himself or his followers to be reformed, even a little or to have their tyranny be limited. Yet I have decided to publish these articles in the plain print in case I should die, before there would be a council, as I fully expect and hope. For these scoundrels, who run away from the light and avoid the day, are taking pains to delay and prevent the council. 
if I do die, those who are alive and those who come after me will have my testimony and confession in addition to the one I have issued previously. I have remained in this confession up to now, and by God's grace, I will remain in it. What should I say? Why should I complain? I am still alive, writing, preaching, and lecturing daily. Yet poisonous people, not only adversaries, but also false brothers who profess to be on our side, dare to cite my writings and doctrine directly against me. They let me look on and listen, even though they know very well that I teach differently from what they say. They want to dress up their poison with my labor. Under my name, they want to mislead the poor people. What will happen, dear God, when I am dead? I should reply to everything while I am alive, still alive. Then again, how can I stop all the mouths of the devil by myself, especially of those so poisoned that they will not listen or pay attention to what we write? Instead, with all diligence, they only busy themselves with how they can most shamefully twist and pervert every letter of our words. These I, I let the devil answer, or ultimately, God's wrath, as they deserve. I often think of the good German, who doubts whether anything good should be written for the public and published. If it is not published, many souls are neglected who could be freed. But if it is published, the devil is there with malignant, deceitful tongues without, the, without number that poison and pervert everything, so that the usefulness of the writing is prevented. Yet what they gain by doing this is obvious. Even though they have lied so shamefully against us and by their lies tried to get the people on their side, God has constantly advanced his work. He has been making their following ever smaller and ours greater. He has caused them to be shamed with their lies and still causes this. We're going to go ahead and pause there. Um, one, one thing that I was catching um, that I didn't really catch earlier when I was, when I was reading through this, but as you were reading it there... Um, he, he says, under my name, they want to mislead the poor people. And I think it's interesting that as this uh, is to be presented in small called, and, and the name is escaping me right now, but the prince of that area actually had Zwinglian leanings, and he was the, mm -hmm. the uh, reformer that kind of led the way for the Anabaptists, as we've talked about uh, before on this show as well. Um, and you see their theology show up in the Amish and Mennonite communities today, even even the Baptist church itself, uh, although they're kind of a mixture of reformed following Calvin sure. and, and, and Zwingli. But, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting that... It, you know, this is kind of the the issue going on too. Is that uh, he he talks about you know here as well that it's not even just the opponents, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but it's even those who who are claiming that they're with me and on my side. Uh, they're distorting it too, and, and this is really quite a shameful thing. And so uh, the point I think he's driving at here is that he wants to be united around Christ and Christ's word, Scripture, right? And, and he's driving it. He's he's setting it up here, but he's driving at that because that can be the only unity that we have. It really can be uh, the only unity that we have because, we, the, and, and we still see this going on today. I often describe it this way, uh, you know, for for a kind of a simple metaphor, it kind of breaks down. But a lot of times, especially with the Reformed and, and uh, you know, even 
those who have the Anabaptist theology and so forth, I'll say it's like we're driving down a two-lane highway and we're side by side doing the same speed. And I'm like, I'm with you. Yeah, you're, you're proclaiming scripture. Great job there, right? And then all of a sudden we get to the proclamation of Christ and his true gospel, right? Especially uh, when it comes to the sacraments and things like that. And it's like they take an exit ramp and I'm like, where did you go? <laughs> you know? and, and, and so it's like, you know, but they will claim just as heartily Luther, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul, uh, one of the big reformed, uh, more contemporary reforms. He passed away a year or so ago, maybe two years ago now. Um, but uh, I often felt this way when he would give his presentations. And he was a champion of Luther. He loved Luther, right? And would claim that Lutheran heritage as well, although he was reformed and follows really more Calvin and so forth. And I'd be listening to him and it's like, well, where did you go? Why did you get off on that exit ramp, right? And it's a twisting of this. And so this is why... This is why we need confessions. This is why we need to hold to Christ. And, and that's what he's driving at here. Pastor Apple, go ahead uh, and add to the conversation here. Uh, Luther here, you, you see how he recognizes that the, the church and the truth that, that we confess as the church is being attacked on all sides. And, and when you look at the, the history of the Reformation, you, you see how Luther dealt with both sides, you know, how it, it gets started in, in 1517 with with indulgences, and, and he begins to recognize the, the errors of Rome when it comes to the, the teaching concerning justification by faith. And and as it as the Reformation continues, though, then then these false brothers, as he calls them here, begin to to expose themselves. Right, that that those who claim to be there with him go too far. You know that you you have um, the example for like Karlstadt, you know, in the in the 1520s, who who takes it farther than Luther wants to, and and goes goes past um, the the truth on falling off on the other side of the horse to to use that image, um, and, and so Luther here you, you see that as well in the in the small cult articles how the the truth is being attacked on both sides, not only by the the Pope and and his you know lies and and all that he's he's said here, but also by these false brothers who want to throw Luther's name out there, but but just for their own purposes, not for the purpose of the truth. And, and so Luther is is sitting down here and saying, look, we are going to confess the truth. This is what Scripture teaches, and God is going to do His His work through this truth that we confess, no matter what attacks the devil throws at us from either side, the church has nothing to fear because because we have the truth of what God has said. And, and as we're confessing that, God is going to do his work. Praise be to him. Absolutely well said. Don't go too far. That's good rule for theology and also a good rule for listening to this show. As we're going to take a break here, come right on back. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. 
To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the general manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM 850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. It's National Garden Month. The Bible is replete with gardens. Genesis 2, verse 15, describes the Garden of Eden and its caretaker. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Deuteronomy 22 commands, Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. As you do your planting this spring, remember the biblical narrative set in gardens. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. The garden tomb where he was buried, to the vision of a garden described in Revelation 22, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Engage with the Bible, this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, the mind of Christ, and we continue to make our way through the small called articles, which we have begun here today. We are done with the Apology of the Augsburg Confession and moving on to Luther's own writings. Uh, wow, and showing some age there or something, <laughs> Layman Slayton. But uh, yeah, uh, we we are just beginning the small called articles. Yes. And uh, to do that, we have our choicest company of Christ confessing Concordians, Layman Peter Slayton, who also sings on the side. Apparently. <laughs> Pastor Peter Ill, Pastor Timothy Apple, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And we have a caller, so we're just going to go ahead and jump to him. Jeff from Tampa, Florida, go ahead. Hi, brothers. Thanks for uh, taking my call. So we're done with the ultra marathon, and we're on to the to the five k. So Woo! it's great to, to launch into the small card altars. So, question is, we're going through here. The word that comes out to me a lot here is, is the word counsel, and I'm struck by the idea that that Dr. Luther and the members of the small caldic league want a council with the Romans to work out these issues between them rather than to continue the the separation between the two. And one wonders if it wasn't for that arrogance of the Roman church at the time, how history could have turned out so much differently. Uh, could you comment on that? Absolutely. Excellent question, by the way. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening to the show. And I think you bring up an excellent point here. I have my own thoughts, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it to Layman Slayton first. I know you had a thought. Yeah, it, it, it does make me wonder, had they turned the corner from, okay, we're still trying to reform from within, 
Or are they now saying, you know what, nuts to this. We're just going our own way. This is what we're going to do. And church, you can accept us or not, but this is just what we're going to do. Historically, I, I don't know my history well enough to know where they're at at this point, but you can definitely hear Luther's frustration with it, that it seems to me that he's losing hope at the very least that there can be reconciliation, that there there is a place for them within the Roman church. I think that I, I hear a certain amount of jadedness in the way that Luther writes, especially jumping ahead to paragraph 15 in the preface. Uh, Luther writes, Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, may you yourself hold a council. Deliver your servants by your glorious return. Uh, the Pope and his followers are done for. They will have none of you. And he goes on just a little bit. And this is almost, in my own paraphrase, Luther saying, Look, we don't need no stinking council. We are faithful to Christ, and you guys are going to do whatever you're going to do. Uh, like you said, Mr. Slayton, nuts to this. Uh, and Luther just says, if you're not going to confess the gospel, I can't make you. I can confess the gospel, and Jesus is going to hold a council. Are you going to be there? I hope so. But if not, I, I'm doing everything in my power to, to give you the clear gospel. Here it is, guys. Yeah, I I think this is an interesting uh, point that our, our caller, Jeff, was right. I'm sorry, short-term memory loss there for a second. Yes, uh, thank you very much for that call. And it's, it's thought-provoking for me. You, you mentioned the arrogance of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Had it not been for the arrogance, he said, um, you know, would, would things have gone better? And and I think that is an interesting thought, especially when you tie in that there there's political pressures, as we've talked about, even with the Augsburg Confession and so forth, uh, because there, there's such this combination of the, uh, you know, political and religious realms uh, mm -hmm. in the Roman Catholic Church, that there's these political pressures. And so, you know, yeah, for the sake of unity, you'd think that they wouldn't quite have the arrogance and that they'd push a little harder to, to seek unity and not be divided, especially with Germany, which which was kind of a force at the time, especially politically and and uh, militarily uh, for for the Roman Empire, if you will. And so it, it is an interesting thought. But then I also have to say, I, I know we in the Lutheran Church are never arrogant ourselves. Never. But, but there could possibly be some arrogance on oh, our part, sarcasm too. Sarcasm on the radio. Is that, that okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am never arrogant. I mean, I, I am just a perfect little angel when it comes to that. I'm perfectly yeah. humble. Yeah. That's, in every way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and perhaps I, to to bring it, you know, to a, a, a arrogance, I think is a good word, and, and to speak even more theologically, and, and to go to the catechism, which you know I love to do. Think of the first commandment that that you should have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Not only is there their arrogance on the Roman Catholic side, but but the real danger, as as in any sin, is is idolatry. You know, yeah, you know, looking at it from a from a a perspective above it and, and rationally, well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Why can't we bring these guys into the fold so that we, we stay united? But from the perspective of, of idolatry, placing myself as God, no, I'm just going to put this down. I'm going to get rid of this threat to the idol of myself rather than to repent, to recognize the truth that that this is who God is. I need to believe what he says. The, the Roman Catholic Church, you know, is, is putting themselves above him, making themselves, the, the papacy, the, their church, into an idol. And and what Luther sees here in 1536 through 38, when, when this is all being 
borne out. You know, he, he sees the writing on the wall. He's asked for the council from a long time before 1530. And, and he sees that, that this council's not going to happen. And, and truth, I mean, he, he was prophetic in that. This council that gets called for in 1536 doesn't actually begin until 1545 in Trent. It becomes the Council of Trent. And of course, that council is where Rome really, you know, puts its feet in the ground and says, this is who we are in opposition to, to Lutheranism. And so, I mean, Luther is very prophetic in the way that that he he writes here in that regard, but but I think from the the Catholic position, and then you know any arrogance that we would have today, still, it's really a matter of idolatry. Are we going to fear, love, and trust in God alone? Or are we going to put ourselves above Him as our as a God? And and that's where we we fall off. I like idolatry as the way to look at this. I that's that's very helpful to me. I think I resonate with that maybe more than the term of arrogance, because as we discuss so much with uh, with the apology, look at what they stand to lose if the gospel is for free. If they can't sell the gospel in, in some way, which of course we know is no gospel at all, if the, if the adversaries, and the last one, or as the, the papists, as they're called here, if they can't sell the gospel, if they can't hold it over people, look at what they stand to lose. So I, I see idolatry and I see fear in this because there's political power that they stand to lose. There's financial wealth that they stand to lose. All of these are, are idolatry where they've placed those over and above Christ for the forgiveness of sins and declaring that and proclaiming that freely for everyone. So I, I, I'm thanks for bringing up the idolatry because I was trying to think uh, arrogance isn't the word I would use, but idolatry I think is the perfect word for that. I, I think this is an excellent move. And golly, one day when I grow up, I want to be a good pastor like Pastor Apple. But uh, uh, this this is a great move. And I think connects even in with that first part that we're hopefully going to get to here very shortly. But, uh, you know, when we just simply confess God as Trinity, it, it is formed from that first commandment and, and anything standing against that. And so uh, kind of rough transition back into the question then, you know, he also asked in there, you know, so, so are we still trying to reform from within the church and seeking this counsel? I, I think we're just simply looking to confess the truth. And it seems like maybe a dodge of the question. I don't know. Um, I, I could be convinced that I am, but uh, I, I think that they're not really concerned with reform at all. I don't think that that's a thought of theirs. It's difficult for me to climb into the mind of Luther. I mean, he's just so far above me. But I think it really is a matter of this, you know, what we what we see is this idol. And and when we see idols, we have to we have to call them out. We have to point them out, especially as pastors, um, uh, that we may repent and turn from them and and receive forgiveness. Right. And so, I think we're looking to confess here, confess that divine Trinity that He is God, that He He. Uh, and I think that's the move that He makes there in that last paragraph that Pastor Hill took us to in pa paragraph fifteen of, look, God has His own counsel on this matter, and anything standing against Him and His truth is confession of an idol. And so uh, let, let's confess the truth. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm inclined to agree that it's, that they're no longer, the primary focus isn't let's, let's reform these errors. Because if you just look at the structure of the small called articles versus the Augsburg confession, the, the first, what is it? 20, 21 articles or so are, here's what we believe in the Augsburg Confession. And then the rest is, and here are the errors and abuses that we'd like to see fixed. And it was very clear, uh, hey, look, 
these aren't scriptural. These don't point to Christ. These actually point in the other direction. Let's fix the them. errors. You mean the yeah. errors? Yeah, these errors. Let's fix these errors. You know, that's the last you know half dozen, eight or so articles in the in the Augsburg Confession, and which of course then is mirrored in the Apology, where they further expand on that. In the small called articles, you don't see that same division. You don't see the argument laid out like that anymore. There is some recognition of here are errors. Here are things that we don't believe. You know, we we reject these things. These This is not what we believe. But you don't have the same, let's fix them. Here, the, these are things we don't, that the church should not believe. Let's fix it. This is going on in the church and it shouldn't be. Let's fix it. You don't see that language in the small called articles. You don't see Luther here in his preface as he's laying the groundwork for, here's why I wrote this. Here's what we're doing with this. Here's the context. Here's what's going on with the church as I'm writing this. Here's why we're putting this out there. You you don't see this language of, we're trying to fix this. So I'd be inclined to say we're no longer on that track, that focused track of let's reform from within. It's kind of like, we're going to be, like you said, Pastor Smith, It's this is now a confession. We're going to be who we are. And if we stay within, okay. But if you kick us out, okay. But this is who we are. Yeah, because this is who Jesus is, and this yeah. is what his word says. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's just confession all the way through. Yep. And, and and you mentioned there, you know, that he, he's he's setting this up himself, right? And and he's going to tell a story in this. And We and, get story time yeah. with Papa Luther now. Yeah, we had story time with Papa Melanchthon back in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and now we have story time uh, from, from Papa Luther. And uh, for that, I'm going to have Pastor Apple go ahead and read, picking up with paragraph 8 of the preface to the Small Called Articles. I have to tell a story. A doctor was sent here to Wittenberg from France, who openly told us that his king was convinced that we have no church, no government, no marriage, but that we all live promiscuously like cattle and do as we please. Imagine those whose writings have instilled such crude lies into the king and other countries, presenting them as the pure truth. How will they face us when we are brought before the judgment seat of Christ? Christ, the Lord and judge of us all, knows well that they lie and have lied. They, in turn, must hear his sentence. I know that, certainly. May God convert May God convert to repentance those who can be converted. To the rest will be said, Woe and alas for eternity. And so I return to the subject. I really would like to see a truly Christian council, so that many people and issues might be helped. Not that we need help. Our churches are now, through God's grace, enlightened and equipped with the pure word and right use of the sacraments, with knowledge of the various callings and right works. So on our part, we ask for no counsel. On such points, we have nothing better to hope or expect from a council. But we see throughout the bishop's jurisdictions so many parishes vacant and desolate that it breaks our heart. Still, neither the bishops nor the church officials care how the poor people live or die. Christ has died for them, and yet they are not allowed to hear him speak as the true shepherd with his sheep. This makes me shudder and fear that someday he might send a council of angels upon Germany who will utterly destroy us like Sodom and Gomorrah for wickedly mocking him with the pretext of a council. Besides such necessary church affairs, many important matters in the political realm could also be improved. The princes and the estates disagree. Interest rates and greed have burst in like a flood and are defended under the law. Also, disrespect, lust, extravagance in dress, gluttony, gambling, pomp, and all kinds of bad habits and evil. 
Subjects, servants, and workers in every trade are insubordinate. The demands on the peasants are unfair. Prices are exorbitant. Who can list everything? These things have increased so much that they cannot be corrected by ten councils and twenty commissions. The council of would have their hands full if such important issues of the spiritual and earthly realms that are contrary to God would be considered. The childish absurdity of long official gowns, large tonsures, broad sashes, bishops' or cardinals' hats, maces, and other vanities would be forgotten. If we had first followed God's command and ordering in the spiritual and secular realms, we could then find enough time to reform food, clothing, tonsures, and surpluses. As long as we want to swallow camels and strain at gnats, Ignore the logs and judge the specks. We might be satisfied with the council. That is why I have presented just a few articles. We already have so many commands of God to observe in the church, the state, and the family, that we can never fulfill them. So what good are decrees and statutes from a council, especially when the important matters commanded by God are ignored? As if he had to honor our vanities as a reward for our treading his solemn commandments underfoot. But our sins weigh upon us and cause God not to be gracious to us, for we do not repent and instead want to defend every abomination. O Lord Jesus Christ, may you yourself hold a council. Deliver your servants by your glorious return. The Pope and his followers are done for. They will have none of you. Help us who are poor and needy, who sigh to you, and who pray to you earnestly, according to, your, to the grace you have given us through your Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns with you and the Father, blessed forever. Amen. Thank you so much. That that concludes the preface. Is is uh, uh, for those who are following along audibly and don't have it in front of you. Uh, yeah, I, I I hear that read and I read that myself. And every time I hear it or, or read it myself, I think, wow, this this is Luther's pastoral heart right here. I mean, and, and we can make too much of this and everything. He talks about, you know, uh, kind of the clerical garb and all those things that are made big deals of. And we still sometimes struggle with this in the church and everything. And, and we can make too big a deal of that and say that, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so gets too worried about those things today and, and so forth. I, I think what he's saying is confession of Christ faithfully is, is what's at heart because people need to be saved, right? Yeah. We, we are all sinners in need of the grace that our Savior has come to bring us, to believe in it, to cling to it as our only hope of salvation. And, uh, and it's just a truly pastoral heart. And he's not, he's not at all saying that the things that we do in the church, and I mean, he'll even have some, some talk of that here in the Small Called Articles of, you know, we need to consider these things and what does it confess when we do what we do or don't do what we don't do and those sorts of issues and so forth. And so he's not saying that they're unimportant, that we should never focus on them or, or just throw babies out with bathwaters or anything of that nature. He's just saying, you know, when, when you're straining out, you know, gnats there for, for looking too intently at these things and missing Christ all the while, wow, great harm is done. Well, and, and, and that's just... He, he's saying that those things have become the point. Yeah. You know, the, the arguments that, that what he's arguing against here is that the size of your surplus and the arguments surrounding... Its, its size or its grandiosity has become the whole point. And they've forgotten what the thing is actually supposed to point to in the first place, and now they're arguing about who's is nicer and who's is better. Uh, a surplus is a, uh, not to be confused with a surplus, which is just more than enough, but a surplus <laughs> is a vestment. It is a, a white vestment that goes over a black vestment called a cassock. And oh, so they're talking one. about the... 
vestment robes, mm-hmm. um, along with the tonsures that monks would shave into their heads, um, kind of in the middle of their their hair. It's, it's the various things and that the various a, things that, a that pastor make up, or priest would wear, where you'd be like, "Oh, that's a pastor. That's a priest," because you, they have that look, you and, know. And they they're making a. Uh, a claim that there have to be strict measurements for these things. And like you very rightly point out, they are missing the forest for the trees. And in the ceremonies and in the rituals, they are missing Christ. That's not to say anything against ceremonies or rituals, but the ceremonies and the rituals by themselves are not the point. The point of the church is to confess Christ. And so that's what we do. And that's the entire point of the small called articles. I often use this example in the military, right? The United States military, for instance, uh, when you have the burial of a veteran or someone who has been killed in, in action and so forth, especially if you have it at one of the national cemeteries, you may have an honor guard out there and, and there they take, or, or if you ever visit the tomb of the unknown soldier outside of Washington DC and so forth at the, uh, the national cemetery there that uh, you would see that they take great care and the way that they are presented their uniform and they measure things and they make sure that there's no strands, you know, just kind of hanging off on the it's, uniform. It's polished, yeah. it's pressed, it looks perfect. Right. But if our U.S. military ever comes about how our soldiers look in their dress uniform, then we're missing the point that we have a military to defend us against the enemies of the state. Right. That's the point. And, and so I use that as an example to say, what's the point here? What's the point of this confession is that Christ has defended us against the enemy of sin, death and the devil. So you're saying the point of soldiers that look good isn't just so that we can have a nice looking face to the world. Not at all. That's not the point of soldiers? That's not the point of soldiers. Oh. But but is it important, especially for ceremonies, especially where we're showing honor to those who have given their lives, right, and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature? Absolutely. You know, the, right. the way that we fold the flag with care and all those sorts of things play into it, right? The 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 the, uh, the ceremony of it all. And, yeah. and, and the same thing plays in the church. You know, we, we want to discuss these things. But if it ever becomes the point, and, and then we're missing the point of Christ who has defended us, who has saved us right. and grants eternal life. Well, that's that's the real issue. And, and again, I just see this pastoral heart of Luther coming out here as he says, look, let's let's get back to confessing the truth of Christ, him crucified for sinners. He actually that you says, may be look, there are people dying. Yeah, there, there are people yeah. dying and they haven't heard this. We should care about that. <laughs> All right. Pastor Apple, anything before we jump into the uh, uh, first part here? No, let's keep reading. All right. Uh, Layman Slayton, you haven't read today. We're we're actually all going to get to read today. Go ahead and read for us the first part, the awe-inspiring articles of the divine majesty of the small called articles. Excellent. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in one divine essence and nature, are one God who has created heaven and earth. That's point one. Point two. The Father is begotten of no one. The Son is begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Point three, neither the Father nor the Holy Spirit, but the Son, became man. Point four, the Son became man in this manner. He was conceived without the cooperation of man by the Holy Spirit and was born of the pure Holy Virgin Mary. Afterward, he suffered, died, and was buried, descended to hell, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sits at the right hand of God will come to judge the quick and the dead, and so on, as the Apostles and Athanasian creeds and our children's catechism teach. Concerning these articles, there is no argument or dispute, 
both sides confessed them. Therefore, it is not necessary now to discuss them further. Thus ends the first part. Yeah. And, and what's he do there in that first part? But just simply say, this is the faith that we confess. It's in all of our creeds. And he essentially writes a creed there himself. Let's just start reflecting with who God is. Right. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. Here's who God is. To, to confess Christ faithfully, we got to begin by confessing who God is. Who, who is it that we're talking about? Uh, is it is it, you know, just some you know, blanket God, you know, spiritual being. No, this, this is God as he has revealed himself to us in scripture. And, and it's kind of a, a weird title for this section here. The awe inspiring articles on the divine majesty That's a tongue full. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to try a sermon title on that sometime, but pastor Apple, uh, explain that title to us. Well, I think it's just a wonderful way to begin to recognize this is the foundation of our Christian faith, that the one true God is the triune God. He is our creator and he is our redeemer because of what he's done in the incarnation of his son, as we confess in the creeds. And those are wonderful things. We confess them every week um, as a part of our divine service. We believe them. It's the heart of who we are as Christians. And and yet to just pause for a moment and, and wonder at the majesty of God in who he is and what he's done for us. What a wonderful, amazing thing that God would would give us this truth of himself and that that truth uh, would would be for us such great blessing not only now but for all eternity is truly awe-inspiring and and so not only is this the heart of our, our Christian faith but it's, it's just a moment for us to to pause and reflect and to give thanks for for what a wondrous thing God has done in giving us this truth and then allowing us to to speak it back to him as a confession, and also to speak it to each other and to the world, that, that as we were saying earlier, that, that they might hear and believe and so be saved. What a wonderful thing that God has given. Absolutely. And I love what you say there, too. And, and whether or not the general layman in church has ever read the Lutheran confessions or the small called articles, they actually do this first part every single Sunday when yeah. we confess the creed. And as a matter of it's fact, like, oh, this is familiar as I'm reading it here. Yeah. Yep. It, it even makes me think that, um, you know, anyone who's ever been baptized into the church, even if they've, they've fallen after baptism, as we talked about in the apology, of the Augsburg confession, right. And, and, and have strayed from the church and from the truth at their baptism, this was confessed. This is so foundational for who we are as Christians. I mean, just think about the baptismal rites, right? What's what's the the thing that we are asked, and and for infants, you know, the the church community or the sponsors speak it on behalf of them, and then at their confirmation, they confirm that faith in this. But what are they asked? Do you believe in this triune God? Mm-hmm. Because this is the faith, right? The the and, and I love what the Athanasian Creed does, right? It says this is the Catholic faith. So this is the universal Christian faith is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's lots of articles that flow forth from that. In part two, he moves into Jesus Christ, as we talked about, and explains in great detail, uh, several articles there. But uh, this is the foundation of the Christian faith. You are baptized into this faith, faith. You confess this faith regularly. Every time we gather around God's holy word and sacrament, we speak back to God. And I'm with you, Pastor Apple. That is something to to just be in awe of that, that this is our God and all that he has done for us. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, indeed, awe-inspiring article on the divine majesty. I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up there today. If you have enjoyed this discussion, 
please continue to come back as we work our way going into the second part, taking a look at Jesus, the the second article, his redemption and the articles of those Christian faith. But even more, if you enjoy the awe-inspiring articles on the divine majesty confessing god as father son and holy spirit continue to gather together with your church as we confess god our heavenly father bless us always thanks for stopping by today and till next time keep confessing church